Okay, Houston, we've had a problem here. Say again, please. Uh, Houston, we've had a problem. Hi, I'm Andrew Wallace, and welcome to the We've Got a Problem podcast, where each week we explore inspiring stories of struggle, success, and solutions to prevalent problems and how our guests have turned a problem into an opportunity. This week, I'm joined by Carrie Schwer, a gray area expert, executive lifestyle coach, speaker, and co-author of the Amazon number one bestselling book, The Successful Mind, Tools to Living a Purposeful, Productive, and Happy Life, who helps high performers move out of the so-called gray areas in their lives and establish healthier boundaries. Carrie, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining me. Wow. Thank you for such a nice introduction. I appreciate that. (laughs) You're very welcome. For starters, what what are gray areas? Yeah, gray areas, that's a great question. Gray areas is that place that we're in between something where it's not that great, but it's not that bad either. So it's a place of mediocrity. It's a place of complacency. It also could be a place where you are in between something like with drinking, for example, that you are not quite severely abusing, but you're more than a social drinker. So for me, that was my story being in this gray area with my drinking. I was in multiple gray areas in my life. It could be a gray area in a marriage in a career, in any type of relationship. It's when it's just not that good, but it's not that bad either. You're just in this nowhere zone, in this big gray blob of life. That's really what the gray areas is. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, it's interesting to talk about gray area drinking. And I know that that's kind of something that that you specialize in. The idea of people who it's not necessarily social, it's not a problem problem. It's not, they, they may never hit a rock bottom or, or be right for, for right. AA or, or big recovery, but it's just not the right, things aren't right. Things aren't, aren't, aren't moving forward. So, I mean, talk to me a little bit about your history. You said you, you, you had some uh, observed, I suppose, that you were a gray area drinker. What, how did that manifest itself? Yes. Well, over a period of time. So my story dates all the way back to when I was seven years old. I was sitting on my parents' driveway and I literally was asking myself, why am I here? What Hmm. is this life all about? There's got to be something better than this. Seven years old? Yeah, seven. I was (laughs) contemplating my life at seven. That was also the same year, Andrew, I declared to my mother that I would be a cigarette smoker. Literally, (laughs) I declared it. I had stolen, at age seven, I stole a cigarette from her best friend, Gladys, who lived directly behind us. And Gladys smoked cool cigarettes. And hey, I wanted to be cool. So I took a cigarette and uh, I smoked it. I took it down to this lake that we had in our neighborhood. And I had, of course, taken a pack of matches too. And I lit the bad boy up. And uh, strangely enough, I didn't hate it. So I came home that day. Again, I was seven. A lot of weird stuff happened to me at seven. And I said to my mom, I'm going to be a cigarette smoker. She's like, "Uh, no, you're not. And I was like, no, yes, I am. So did I start smoking at seven on a regular basis? No, because that would be ridiculous. I waited till I was 11. (laughs) Yes. Yes. So my gray area of life, as I call it, really did start around that time. I in all seriousness, I was debating 
why I'm here. And I was really questioning. I was having some very serious thoughts. And I remember thinking I'm seven, like I shouldn't even be thinking about this stuff. I should be just worried about playing with friends. But I was very precocious is a good word uh, to describe myself at that age. And that sentiment really stayed with me for most of my adult life. I got married fairly young. I was 22. My husband was 20. When we married, we had our kids very young. And fast forward, in my 30s, I worked at a country club. I was in the food and beverage business, and I started working at this country club as a food and beverage manager. And that's really when my, quote unquote, drinking kind of got legs. And that was because I was the buyer for the the club for wine, and I was taste testing, and I became obsessed with all things wine. I really considered myself a wine connoisseur. I I took it very serious. Um, I planned like my anniversary around wine. We went to Napa and Sonoma Valley, for example, so I could experience more wine. I mean, literally, I poured myself into it. And I used that excuse of, well, I just like wine because it has this like romance behind it. You know, we do that as a society with with all alcohol. We just romance it, especially wine paired with food and so forth. So I got sucked into that life and I decided to not just drink you know, tasting wine at work, but I was bringing that home. And then my husband was asking me questions like, gosh, Carrie, you know, I see that you're now drinking at home and his mom was an alcoholic. So he was very in tune with how much drinking his mom was doing. And he didn't want that from me. So fast forward 2014 ish. Uh, he mentioned again, like, I'm starting to wonder if you're drinking too much. And I started questioning my own relationship with the alcohol at that point. And it wasn't until 2016 till my drinking became, in my world, a problem for me. I wasn't severely abusing, but I was drinking more than socially on a regular basis. But again, I wasn't severely abusing alcohol to the point where I wasn't able to function, Mm -hmm. that I wasn't able to keep down a job. I was perfectly fine in the morning. My life really wasn't altered except for in the evening when I got home, I went the traditional route of going to AA. I quit August 15th of six of 2016. And I loved AA. I thought it was a great program. It just wasn't a good fit for me. Right. And so after leaving the program and realizing that there's got to be something else out there for someone like myself, I was having a hard time finding that something else. So I ended up working with a coach and that coach really pointed out to me that drinking was never really my problem. This dated back to, of course, when I was all the way back to when I was seven (laughs) and everything in between that a lot of the beliefs that I was believing was manifesting in my outward self-sabotaging behaviors, which is what happens for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. So after working with him, he planted three seeds for me at that time. He said, Carrie, I think someday you're going to be a coach. I think you're going to start your own business. And I think you're going to share your story with the world. And I said, no, no, and hell no. You're smoking crack, dude. That's never going to happen. And lo and behold, he knew something that I didn't know. And here you are. Here we are. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone knows my story. It's pretty much out there for all to hear and see. But that's how I got from there to here. Well, so, I mean, the you say it, it goes back to... To, to something different, right? The alcohol wasn't really the problem. It was perhaps more of a coping aid or a way of dealing with with something yes. else, right? That that for some people, alcohol is an addiction. It's it it's the motivator for the dopamine hit or whatever it is that we that we get from it. And for others, Absolutely. it's covering for something else. 
So, I mean, what? <laughs> I'm going to ask a, a, a kind of silly question, but what's the problem with coping aids? Why? <laughs> why isn't yeah, that no. okay in a sense? Yeah, that's a really good question. There are healthier coping mechanisms and aids that we can use to get us out of a situation that we don't feel good. And let me just kind of clarify one thing that even as a gray area drinker, it's still an addiction. I mean, we all have addictions to something. If we're doing something over and over again, we've trained our mind to do something again and again and again, because it feels good, right? Mm -hmm. We drink, we overeat emotionally, we watch porn, we gamble, we self-sabotage, we distract ourselves, whatever, fill in the blank. And I say we as in general, the public, we do these things to distract ourselves. We do these things because we get those immediate hits of dopamine, which is why we get in this uh, this circular thinking loop that happens inside of our brain. And that's what causes us to move into this habit formation, which technically is an addiction. So I just wanted to point that out. Yes. Yes, yeah. absolutely. absolutely. But as far as to answer your question, there are a lot of coping aids that we can use that are more beneficial to us. And that's exactly what I teach for my clients. We can do breath work, for example. We can exercise. We can take cold showers. We need to disrupt the way of our old patterns. And for mm-hmm. me, that was drinking. For me, that was distracting myself by you know ignoring things that were important to me that I should have been taking care of at the time. And Instead, I was ignoring them, quite frankly, relationships in my life, that sort of thing. So there's many ways that we cope. For some people, it is watching porn. For some, it's smoking weed. For some, it's emotionally eating. And we do that because we're either chasing a feeling or running from a feeling. Mm -hmm. That is the reason why we do the things that we do that aren't necessarily good for us. So our Feelings is what drives us to act. A lot of times people drink because they want to celebrate. They feel happy. They want, they're joyful. I'll never say that I think alcohol is healthy. I don't think there is any amount of alcohol that is considered healthy. I think there are some people that can use alcohol in a way that is is beneficial, you know, for them and their life that they don't feel that there's a problem. But for me, it's it's not it's not worth it for me and for most of my clients it's just not worth it for them to drink yeah i i i suppose i think of it in terms because i i i even took your little quiz online before i got in here and we'll we'll uh talk a little bit about that yeah yeah but the gray area drink and apparently i'm a gray area drinker so most people fall into that andrew so let me let me ease your mind on that for one second before you go they're about 50 percent of the population that consumes alcohol maybe in this gray area. So it's mm-hmm. a wide spectrum of drinkers. Again, if you're drinking more than just the occasion, then you're right. going to fall into that gray area. Yeah. You might be on the lighter side. You know, right. someone like myself, I was more in the medium to darker shades of gray. But that's and that's part of the question. And the interesting thing is to consider consider how it is that you're drinking and, and mm-hmm. when and why and really take a look at it and whether it's serving the purpose that you that you intend to use it for or would want to be using it for right that that if if it has downsides to it and you're kind of ignoring the downsides for me right if i have really anything um but certainly if i have uh two glasses of wine with dinner the next day i'm not a hundred percent and i can just feel it right it's i'm not it's just not not a hundred and I don't sleep quite as well, and I have a little indigestion and all those things. And you go, really, probably shouldn't do it at all. It's not serving me 
anything. And really from two glasses of wine, you don't really even feel, you're not getting any any kind of euphoria or, or, or benefit from it other than the kind of social aspect. And you go, well, maybe that's not something we need to do. Maybe. I mean, that's yes. you know kind of where where I go as well. Yeah, that's a really good example, by the way, where, you know, two glasses of wine with dinner doesn't seem like a big deal. But then when you're waking up and you are a little bit slower, a little bit sluggish, your sleep isn't as good and it won't be as good. You know, alcohol helps to get you to sleep. In other words, it'll help you fall asleep. It's just it's a hormone disruptor. It's an endocrine disruptor to our system. So it's going to end up waking you up. You're going to toss and turn. You're not going to get a good restful sleep when you have alcohol because your body is trying to break that down as you sleep. It's mm-hmm. a repair mode. And what it's doing is trying to get rid of this, this thing that's in your body, which is alcohol, which doesn't, we don't, we don't break it down in our bodies efficiently. So it takes extra time and extra work when really it should be in repair mode. Right. So right. sleepiness is severely affected for most people. And then when you wake up in the morning, if you are sluggish, it's because your your body's trying to get used to being where it needs to be. So I want to go back to what you said, because there's a couple things happening. When someone starts to justify like, well, I'm only drinking a little bit. It's not that bad. This is exactly what I'm talking about in the gray area where mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's not that bad. You know, it, it could be worse at least. And then they go into comparison mode. I don't drink like my so-and-so buddy, right? I well, yeah, I'm like not drinking like a college student. You yes, know, it, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So then we start to justify in our mind and we create stories to make ourselves feel better. We make ourselves feel right. Well, and that's, we that's the case with trouble. anything in life, right? This of I course. can see how this applies to your coaching far beyond great oh, area absolutely. drinking. The, yes. the stories we tell ourselves are some of the most powerful false beliefs and lies that we can come up with to, again, justify, <laughs> rationalize our behavior and yes. just kind of feel like it's okay. Yes. But okay is not really what we're going for. Yeah. You know, we say fine is a four-letter word it, it, right. because it is. Right. Fine isn't good. Fine right. is just okay. We want to feel great. Listen, life is too short. If we're if we're half oblivious, you know, or intoxicated or not fully present because we have a substance in our body, we can't fully live. We can't be in this full expressional state of gratitude and expansiveness when we have, you know, alcohol or any other substance in our body. We just can't be fully present. And so it's a gift to yourself when you can not drink. But I listen, I'm not on a vendetta against drinking. I think, you know, there's alcohol, they try to banish it years ago, and it did not work. And <laughs> I'm not going to be that person that's going to try to do it again. Yeah, total. But, I'm an, but I am an advocate for those that choose not to drink. And for gray area drinking, it is a choice to drink. I want to make sure that, that your audience hears that it is a choice to drink when you are a gray area drinker, when it becomes no longer a choice. Then we're talking about severely abusing. If you need yeah. to have alcohol in order to get through a day or you're going to have shakes or withdrawals, then it is a serious, serious problem. It's already could be a problem if you are in the gray area. You really need to start listening to that inner voice and that inner gut because I bet you you're already hearing some of those voices and yeah. you're choosing to ignore them. That's when you need to really start paying attention yes. and be yeah. honest and true to yourself. Well, that's, I mean, I, I suppose that's part of the, the, the larger conversation, it being honest and true to yourself. And I, I, I'll go back a little bit to, to saying that for, for some people uh, I know, and, and, and I've been one of these people, that you go, well, I'm going to have a, 
I, I, I'm so, I've been so stressed at work. I'm going to have a drink to relax tonight. You know, I've been, it's been a long week looking forward to a margarita at Taco Tuesdays. I don't know, you know, what, whatever the, the, the thing is. And, and the question we should be asking ourselves is, why are we so stressed? Why do we, I mean, you know, go back from whatever the coping strategy is, and besides drinking, that, that you're going, why am I so stressed? Why are we so stressed, Carrie? What, what, yeah. What's going on? Yeah, I'll tell you why. Because there's so much pressure and noise around us in this world. Everybody's pining for our attention. Social media, you know, the news, your friends, socially, work, everybody's demanding your attention. And we are not built to be a ping pong ball to answer everybody. We have so much pressure and noise coming at us at all directions. And we have to find a way to lower that pressure noise. And how do we do that? We do that by creating boundaries. We do that by creating containers. And what I mean by containers is that there's specific containers that you create for yourself. Let me give an example, a morning routine. Your morning routine is sacred. It is sacred time for yourself. I encourage all of my clients, including for myself, that in the morning is sacred time. It's the time to renew your mind. It's about uh, protecting your body and your spirit throughout the day. It's like putting on armor. That's what mm-hmm. I refer to it as. It's like, let's put on the armor in the morning so you can attack the day like a ninja, right? <laughs> There's many things that you, we can do. Exercise, of course, that increases your endorphins. That's going to get you in a great mood. Ending your shower with cold water. There's so many scientific studies on why cold therapy and showers is good for you. So Google it. I won't go into all the benefits here, but I will tell you it's a great way to start your day. It will help energize you, and there's multiple other benefits. You can, of course, journal. I, I personally like journaling in the evening. I like to journal my wins for the day and think about yeah. my intentions for the next day. But in the morning, I like to visualize. I visualize what I want my day to look like, what I want my month to look like, what I want my year to look like. I also will read or listen to a podcast or something of value, something that I want to learn something. I want to take in that information. I also hugely recommend no one looks at their phone for the first hour that they're awake. We don't want the outside world to affect us. If you're that person listening, that you grab your phone in the morning and the first thing you're doing is scrolling through social media, you are allowing that energy to take over your energy. Well, you said something very important, which is where our attention is being dragged from side to side like like a ping pong ball. And that's what we have to realize the the phone does and is designed to do in in so many respects that they they are selling our attention that's what it really yes. is right social so, dilemma on netflix everyone is so good yeah, exactly <laughs> that's that's right social dilemma is fantastic if you haven't watched it please do the yeah. The uh, Catherine Price, who, who who wrote the book, How to Break Up With Your Phone, goes into some more of the science that I won't get in here. And I hope to interview her sometime on the show. Mm-hmm. But the the fact is, um, the way that, that, that our attention is for sale and, and how they're designing these apps and how social media is done, that, that whole swipe down to refresh, the fact that it's like a slot machine, the most addictive form of entertainment that's that's yes. that's been done right it's quick hits quick hits of dopamine every right. time you do it. 
but to the point that now your your brain expects that and wants that and mm-hmm. nothing else can compare and you're you've got to have it the first thing in the morning when you're trying to wake up and doing all these things so I, I, that's just something that, that everybody should think about, right? You said, like you say, don't look at your phone for the first hour. I would say, try not to look at your phone. Really take social media off your phone entirely, that your phone should be more like a tool. And either if you want to, and, and it's part of your planning thing, look at your phone when it becomes relevant and you need to look at it for something, not because, you feel like you're missing out or you've got all these notifications or you've got all this other stuff going on. If part of your day planning, right, part of my morning routine is I'm going to set down what tasks are undone from yesterday that I want to make sure are the high priority things to hit today. Okay, I use my task management app on my phone, but I'm not I'm not scrolling the internet. I'm not getting into email. I'm not not letting somebody else dictate what I'm paying attention to, I'm choosing to to to, yes, to, you to give, go at it. A good way to think about the phone in the morning is you're giving your power of your day away. When you look at your phone right away, you're giving it to the problem. You're giving it to the email or the Instagram or the Facebook or whatever yep. social media platform you like to list, watch or go to rather. You're giving that power away. So to protect your boundaries, this is a container. What I was referring to is like you have your container in the morning where it's sacred. You block out everything else. Think about it as an airtight container. Nothing can penetrate. It's your time for you. Mm-hmm. It'll set you up for success throughout the day. Again, think of it as putting on that armor, right? Right. And then that's what I was thinking, right? It sets you up for success. There's so yes. much that talks about how important a morning routine is, yes. setting yourself up for success for the rest of the day. And if you're consistent, how much it can just juice your returns for, for again, for the day, for the week, for, for yeah. just to... To, to go through that. So we're talking about containers, right? And I, yes. I interrupted you, but go on. No, that's okay. I was going to say, there's a great book. I'm, I'm sure a lot of people have heard of this book, but just in case, Miracle Morning by Hal Elrod is probably one of my favorite books with morning routines. He uses an acronym SAVERS, S-A-V-E-R-S. And he talks about the morning routine using SAVERS, which is us. Uh, Uh, silence, meditation, affirmations, visualization, exercise, reading, and scribing, which is journaling. That's what he recommends. I have a whole bunch more of uh, daily habits that you can do in the morning in addition to that. But if you're brand new to a morning routine, go get Miracle Morning. That's a great way to get started. It will fire you up and you'll be so excited. That book is what really got me going. And then from there, I've just been expanding ever since. But that's a great book. The other thing I want to say about energy is Mm -hmm. we give our energy to the news and social events that are happening, you know, whether it's across the world or in our own nation. Things that we don't actually have any control over, by the way. uh, Amen to that. And here's the thing. The news is extremely biased. And in order for you to protect your energy and your spirit, I highly suggest you don't watch the news. If you want to read the news, that's different. You know, I I don't watch any news at all. I will read about the news and I'll do it briefly. And I pick 
the outlets that I believe that are at least sourcing the information that somewhat might be correct, and I still question it, use your own discernment. But when we allow the outside world to dictate what we should be believing, it can really mess up our day. We need to be in control and protect our minds and our spirit. And I cannot say that enough because here's the kicker. That information that comes into our mind, we create our own thoughts and beliefs around it. And those thoughts and beliefs create feelings for us. And feelings is what drives actions, aka behaviors. So we need to be careful on what we're allowing in our mind, garbage in, garbage out. You've heard that saying, we need to be very careful what we allow into our mind. We need to guard our mind. And this is the good way to do it is really to build yourself up in the morning and to guard out, protect yourself. Again, putting on the armor for the rest of the day to really tackle that day and you can do it with power. Mm-hmm. If, and if, if that's all somebody does is change that one thing, not look at your phone, add some morning routine stuff in. I promise yeah. you, you're going to be in a great place. Yeah, you'll you'll be far ahead of the pack if you just do that. And yes. and I, I mean, we talked. You, you mentioned it a little bit, but we're talking a little bit about boundaries as well, right? And mm-hmm. boundaries, containers, things like that. That all goes together. I think we probably have more porous boundaries than maybe would be healthy. Uh, that 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 we kind of allow things through the. We'll, we'll set boundaries. We'll say, all right, I'm not going to, I, when I finish work at, at six o'clock, I monitor my email from 9am to 6pm. And after six, I'm not on the clock. So I'm going to do it, but I'll still check it a little bit. And if I get one from my boss, maybe I'll respond to that. And then we, we kind of keep moving the, keep moving just a little bit over. And I, I, you wonder whether having, perhaps more firm or, or, or stronger boundaries and and like you say setting setting containers might be a little bit beneficial <laughs> to, you know what that's called what you just described that's a big gray area for yourself that's a yeah. big gray area commitment to yourself so here's the deal when we do that and we've all done it I'm, I'm not saying right that I right 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 but you're, like, you're trying to help people not do that yeah, that's yeah. <laughs> just because we yeah. do it doesn't mean it's the right thing to do So most people don't make a change in their habits unless they're forced to or there's a problem that they should or they're seeing some negative consequence. No one's going to change a habit unless there's some sort of negative consequence that's going to say, hey, I should probably change this behavior. So again, you fall into that gray area if it's not bad enough. Then it's like, well, it's not that bad. I might as well just keep doing it. I can look at this email. You know, I could just check my emails one more time. I could just check social one more time. I could just have one more drink. I could just smoke, you know, a couple more puffs off my, off my, you know, vape, whatever it is, right? right. We do this. We, we make concessions for ourselves in our mind and we just continue with these excuses and, and stories that why it's okay. Justification, right? Yep. We do this over and over again. We leave ourselves a back door. So here's my thing with this. There's something called the 100%, 98% rule and the 100% rule. If you are committed to yourself at 98%, not good enough. Here's why. You will leave the back door open. You will leave this crack just wide enough that you're going to slip through with those excuses because your unconscious mind knows that there's a 2% back door gap that you can escape through. 
Yeah. And if you, unless you're hundred percent committed to your goal, to your intention, to yourself, you're always going to find that backdoor 2% excuse and you're going to use it every single time. So whenever, when, when anyone is making a decision to make a change, it takes more than just having desire right? That, that's the first thing. You got to have a desire to want to change. You have to explore your why, mm-hmm. understand why you want to make this change. You also have to have commitment to yourself. By the way, I'm, I'm using an acronym that I created, DECIDE. You have the desire to want to make the change, exploring your why, having commitment to self. The I is to invest in yourself. And yes, this means resources. This means time. This means money. Sometimes you got to invest. You can't always rely on, well, I'll just get this free download or something like that. This is why people pay for personal trainers. You can get all kinds of free information online about working out. But unless you're being held accountable and you put some skin in the game, you typically have a hard time getting any sort of result because you're not being held accountable. You don't have any investment in the game. So that's why invest is important. And then the D is daily habits. The second D is daily habits, the importance of that, which we just covered. And the last E for decide is everyday effort equals expansion. So if what we do on an everyday effort, that effort is all about your intentions. That effort is about you doing those daily things in the morning, protecting yourself, putting that armor on, protecting yourself with those containers and boundaries, not allowing the outside noise to consume you. And if you do that every single day, just a little bit of effort every single day towards bettering yourself, you're going to get there. And Mm -hmm. that is decide. You want to make sure that you're using decide to start making some of those changes. But really, that why is important, that commitment to self, and then adding in the investment and those daily habits and doing it consistently will get you to where you want to go. Yeah, for sure. And I think that's, again, these, these are, these are principles that apply beyond just absolutely any particular area they they transcend all of that I, the the personal training thing is is one that really hits home for me right of mm-hmm. why you invest in these things i know i will not go to the gym no matter how easy i make it for myself right if the gym is on the way home from work i've got my gym clothes all that stuff. unless i actually have an appointment with somebody that i'm paying i will not go there now you go. i it's exactly. and What's what what I've managed to do is now I don't even have appointments. I just get a text message of today's workout and I have to do it. I just go do it. It's there. I've got it. I go. But that the fact that I'm paying somebody to send me those workouts and that I have them and that's now part of the routine. I am to the point that I can do that. I will do it. I work out five days a week. It happens. But if I if I were just Getting, if I even just had an app that told me what to do, I wouldn't do it. I, it's, I have to make that investment. And it's a little bit of a struggle to pay somebody for that and kind of know in the back of my head, especially now, I've got years of workouts in my text message chain that I could just go back to and pick one from. I don't need somebody to be sending me new workouts every day. I could, you know, I, I'd never repeat one in, in three years if I just went back to the top and started over. But Yet again, I know myself. And that perhaps is the key to a lot of other things is once you know yourself and you understand this is the way that works for me and what works for me and what I need to do to 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 make this habit stick, to make this this change possible, 
okay, that's that's yes. them's the rules. That's that's what I what I've got to do. Exactly. Well, you brought something up I want to share, which is the importance of having somebody come alongside of you. You know, this is why I got into coaching. Just like with my own coach, I thought I could do it on my own. I tried. I couldn't do it. It was just working with somebody and helping them see my blind spots. I just watched a TEDx this morning of a surgeon who hired a coach to come in, a mentor, another physician, to critique him while he's operating. And this is a renowned surgeon. And he was like, I just want to see how I can best improve. And, you know, in his view, this particular case that this other surgeon was watching, he thought he did it flawlessly. Oh, no. This other surgeon pointed out a couple minor tweaks and things that could make him just a little bit better. With coaches, we do the same thing. I describe myself as the bumper guards in bowling. I'm there just to kind of nudge you back into the center of the lane so we can keep going straight so you can hit all these pins, right? Mm-hmm. We're there to show you the blind spots. We're there to guide you. We're there for you to hold up something, a mirror for you to say, listen, this is what's really happening, but you're not exactly seeing it. And why are you, you know, let's, let's talk about why this is happening, right? We're there to provoke and evoke. Both, both of those provoke and evoke. We're there to make changes. We're there to help ask you the right questions to get you back on track, right? Mm-hmm. We never mm-hmm. tell somebody what to do. We ask the right questions in order for you to see for yourself. There's a reason why coaching is so effective because we're there to show others those blind spots. And that's exactly why I still have a coach, right? All pretty much every good leader that you know out there ceos entrepreneurs i mean even tony robbins has a coach yes so, that's the and that's so important to 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 remember that the best people have coaches because we hey, i think we kind of think there's this i mean well whether it's ego or or what but like well i i i'm 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 good i don't need somebody to tell me what to do and of course again like you said they're not telling you what to do that's right they're helping you find the places that you might not see for yourself and, and ways to improve. Tiger Woods at one point yes. was the best golfer we'd ever seen. Uh, just kept winning, winning, winning. And at the top of his game, he got a new swing coach because mm-hmm. he went, uh, you go, who could teach Tiger Woods anything? Well, that's exactly. not it. That's, that has nothing to do with it. It's he, the best want to get better. They, right. and find a way to, 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 to do it. And you can't do that all for yourself. If you could, you would have done it. You didn't. So that's right. That's right. See, and but you brought up a good point too, which is worth mentioning, is that in sports, we 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 assume that like this is all okay, right? With like, oh well, it makes sense that you know they need a coach or whatever. But if it's personally, and we need like a life coach or an executive lifestyle coach or an ex, you know a business coach or you know like even a consultant. It, it is, appears to be a little bit different. It's not. Right. It's about showing where you could do better. It's about showing where you might, you know, again, have those blind spots and that you're unaware of it. Because here's the thing. Once you become aware of something, you can't unsee it. And then you yeah. must do something with it. It's, it's like, there it is. You're at a crossroads. You have a choice to make. And that's exactly why I love doing what I do. I also want to jump back really quick. One book that I highly recommend for people is Atomic Habits. I just happen to have a copy right next to me here. Uh, James Clear wrote this book. This is an excellent, excellent book. He talks about um, 
why and how habits are formed and how to set yourself up for success. So I, I actually give this to my clients, my new clients uh, that come on board with me because I believe in the book so much. So I wanted to share that if somebody's looking for a really good book to help them with some of their habits and some of the concepts that, that I'm talking about. Um, yes. And Atomic Habits is great once you know what habits you want to form. I mean, it's exactly. it's great, great to read it anytime. But once you've decided, okay, yeah. here's something I want to do and I'm committed to, right? 100% committed to doing this. How can I make that happen? Yes. That book will help you in incalculable ways to yes. find a way to make it happen. The, the concept of habit stacking, all those kinds of things. Yes, everybody read Atomic Habits. Yes, um, and, and here's the thing. If you have a coach that's guiding you and keeping you accountable, oh my goodness, your chances of actually following through with it are so much higher. You know, I have my clients check in with me every day. I want to know, like, where are you? Now some, you know, not every day they don't check in, but periodically in between our calls, I want to know like what's going on or, you know, how's this going? How's that? Did, were you able to do this? How are you feeling today? Where are you emotionally? How are you feeling on, on your behavioral levels? How are you calming yourself down? Are you in a good state? It's like that constant check-in. And again, it's that constant awareness, which drives people forward. Yes. It helps them expand yeah. not only in their careers, but in their marriages and their relationships and as parents and as, you know, entrepreneurs and leaders and, for themselves. I mean, it really is about bettering them as a whole. Yeah. That's, I just love it. Yeah. And, and that's I, part of the part of the question for this podcast is and, and always has been, how can we live, lead richer lives and, and live up to our full potential? And that's the that that's the, the, the there's no one way to do it. Right. No, no prescription that says do that and your life will be richer. Yes. But but certainly there are tools that we all need to have uh, or work on. And one of the big ones is habit formation and committing to something and being able to follow through. In today's world, when we have we're bombarded by people telling us the new hack for this and the new trick to this and the new way to do this. And here's what the best people do. And you just look at that on Instagram or Facebook or whatever and, 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 and go, but I'm not that, I'm not that motivated. I'm not that strong. I'm not that. And you start to, to get these negative, this negative self-talk going and, and you're comparing, as I've said several times on this podcast, your insides to somebody's curated outsides and going, well, why is it that I don't have that? And well, they're they're just different. And you start to tell yourself this story back to to far earlier, this this false narrative of I'm different. I'm not as good as them. I'll never be able to do that. And it just kind of builds on. And, oh, and yeah. uh, listen, and, every person on the planet has had that thought, I'm not good enough. We move into yeah. comparison. And comparison truly is the thief of all joy, right? When we compare ourselves to others, what we do in that instance is we're actually allowing that other person to showcase to us and it provides us evidence that we can actually do that too. So when yeah. I look at somebody who is farther along than, than I am, for example, I don't look at it as like jealousy or envy. I look at it as like, oh my gosh, 
thank God for this person. They have shown, they've created a path for me to follow. The evidence is there that I can do it too. We we need to flip that script. You know, I love, matter of fact, I'm giving um, a five, five, part, well, it's a five different workshops um, coming up here in the fall. And a lot of my talk is about problem tunities taken what appears to be a problem and making it an opportunity, right? So when we think about things like that, it's always about that perception twist. It's always about how can we look at something and find the gift? Where's the blessing? Where's the learning? Where's the setup? Where's this process for us to us for us to look at and show us how we could do better? And whenever we compare ourselves, we move into that lower state, we get down on ourselves, we create stories about this about ourselves that we're we're never going to be good enough that we'll never be as good as that person and we move into jealousy and envy and all these these emotions and feelings that create nothing but doom and gloom for us instead we have to look at what we are good at what we're grateful for so we can move into an expansive state where we can be joyful and creative and energetic because that's what drives really positive movement and that's what helps us grow so i just i love i love talking about comparison because we've all done it we've We've all done it and everybody's doing it and it's 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 pernicious because you don't realize that you don't realize the negative Thoughts and and emotions that come out of it because they don't happen immediately. You just go, oh, that's aspirational. I'd like to be like her or him or whatever. I'd like to have that. Or this is great. And oh, you know, that's that's a goal, and I can make my goals. But that's not what's happening most of the time. You're going. "Eh." That's right. I don't well, here's that. the thing. I recently had a coach tell me, my coach that I have right now, who I just love, 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 and I made a comment one day about, you know, well. Why would why would I be able to stand out? Like, how can I stand out even more than that? You know, I'm just like one of many. We've all said this, right? You know what he did? He wrote down my name and he said, because you're Carrie Schwer. No one, no one is like you. I'm not going to be like Brene Brown. I'm not going to be like Oprah. They've already, they're doing themselves just fine. I don't need to be like them. I need right. to be like right. me. And we forget this as humans. We forget that we are powerful in our own right. And sometimes we just need that little reminder. And this was a reminder for me. And I thought, you know what? This is absolutely right. We all have felt this way. Even the best of the best still get nervous about going on stage. You know, I speak in front of people and I get super nervous, but I have to realize everyone feels nervous. This excitement that I'm actually feeling, it's not really fear. It's excitement. And when well, you shift that perspective, there you go. Yeah, right? let's let's reframe that. That's I I always go back to Amy Poehler, who's uh, an extremely gifted improviser, one of the uh, co-founders of Upright Citizens Brigade Improv. And and somebody said to her, do you ever get nervous before you go out there since you don't know what you're going to do when you go out onto the improv stage? Um, and and she said, I think this is what she was referencing. She said, no. I don't get nervous. I get really excited, so excited that sometimes I want to vomit. And you go, <laughs> well, okay, so it's not nerves, it's excitement. Um, yes. Okay, so we're coming kind of to the end here. I want to ask a couple of questions that I try to ask everybody. What is the biggest kind of fallacy with your coaching clients, perhaps in your industry, that it seems like everybody buys into that just turns out to be utter BS. 
well, we we already covered it in a sense, is about this idea that, you know, needing someone is weak, that you're not strong enough to be able to figure things out on your own. And I want to tell you, the best of the best in the industries, uh, again, leaders, CEOs, very powerful people all have somebody come alongside of them, whether that's a coach, a therapist, a counselor, a clergy person, a best friend that you know knows what they're talking about. Have somebody come alongside of you. Don't feel like you have to do things alone. That is the biggest fallacy. And I yeah. think the biggest gift that I see for myself and with my clients is that, you know, when I am told, which just happened yesterday, I had a client say, Carrie, I don't even know where I'd be if it wasn't for you, how far I've come. And I've been with this guy only three months. I usually work with clients for six months, three months. And he's like, his whole life has completely changed. <laughs> His marriage has improved. His work life has improved. He's very calm. He's not as stressed out as he once was. He's not drinking a lick of alcohol anymore. He's found better coping strategies for himself. And this is all due to him doing the work, me coming alongside of him and helping him. This is a busy CEO. He's mm -hmm. very, very busy. This is what I'm talking about. You know, it's really this fallacy and this false belief that coaching is only for people who are weak or that desperately need something that is so far from the truth. Yeah. No, it's, and I, the, 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 and the best want to get better. That's what you have to remember. The other side of that is what is the most underrated concept that it seems like everybody overlooks. Ah, breathing. Breathing. Breathing is, no, I'm being serious. We, we breathe. Of course we breathe all day long, right? But breath work in itself, just practicing a couple deep breaths, a good, easy one to learn is box breathing. It's a four second inhale. You hold at the top, you exhale for four, you hold again for four, and you do that for four rounds. That is box breathing. That is a wonderful, easy breathing technique that you can use. I highly suggest fitting it in, whether you're at a stop sign or a stoplight, for example, in between calls, in between customers or clients, just throughout your day, maybe every hour before you transition to a new task. Just take a couple slow, deep breaths. Why this is so beneficial, Andrew, is we move out of this sympathetic fight, flight, or freeze response in our nervous system, and we move into a parasympathetic, which is rest and digest, where we're calm, we're in control, we can move into gratitude. Breath can do this for us in a very positive way by con helping control our nervous system. So breath is so highly underrated and yet the most powerful, powerful gift. And it's free and you can do it anywhere. So there's no excuse not to incorporate some sort of breath work throughout your day. I believe in it so much that I have a specialty coach that I bring in for my one-on-one -on -one clients once a month, once every six weeks or so, because I want my clients to get the most optimal uh, benefits that they can and breath work and it, practicing breath work and knowing how to do breath work is huge for us. So that's my answer. <laughs> Fantastic. Fantastic. Carrie, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. Folks, if you want to learn more about Carrie, you can find her at graytonic.com, on Instagram, LinkedIn, and Facebook. Those links will be in the show notes. And until next time, I'm Andrew Wallace, and we don't have a problem. We've got an opportunity.